Break the Stigma. This is your host, Natalie Bolin. I'm with the Alcohol, Drug Addiction, Mental Health Services Board of Tuscarawas and Carroll County, the Adams Board. Okay. Hi, everyone. We are back for episode three of our Break the Stigma podcast. This is Natalie Bolin with the Alcohol, Drug Addiction, Mental Health Services Board, the Adams Board. Um, And we are back with Percy Garner. And we had done two podcasts previously, and that just kind of took us through a journey through Percy's life and his childhood up through his college career when he started sports. Um, But I think today's podcast is really what we are really kind of the meat of what we wanted to talk about. And that's some of the struggles that Percy went through as an adult in a professional baseball career. Um, So Percy, I kind of want to jump in where we left off. And I think the last place that we left off was you transitioning to baseball at Ball State. Yes. All right. Yes. Uh, I think we got through my my tryout once they said welcome to the team and all that i think we got through all that um i just know it kind of went fast i didn't pitch that much you know i joined the team late arm really wasn't conditioned and uh i threw a little bit but then i the biggest thing was they made me play um summer ball and i still hadn't bought in i didn't think i was getting drafted it was more like a that's, I want to play a sport, you know. I don't want to sit on the bench in football, but let me play a sport and just so I can have some fun. Mm-hmm. And um, I joined the uh, the Stark County Terriers, which was 10 minutes from my mother's house. <laughs> they, they played at Walsh. So <laughs> there were better teams I could have went to. But um, I chose to stay close to home and uh, be able to stay with my family, which I don't regret at all. And I got exposure still. So... Uh, uh, somehow I got top right-handed prospect out of that league. Wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's what I was thinking at the time. Like, <laughs> wait, what, what just happened? That's amazing. Yes. And, uh, that kind of put me on the radar. So starting my sophomore redshirt season, my third season in college, just baseball. And they were like, Hey, you get, t- you might get drafted in the top 40 rounds. I was like, okay, probably coming back to school for my last year then. <laughs> And uh, next thing you know, we're playing the seventh ranked team in the nation. They're the the bigger Cardinals. So we were Ball State Cardinals. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were playing the Louisville Cardinals. They're the real Cardinals. But (laughs) the day that I pitched, I think it was a Sunday because we had a first round draft pick on my team named Colburn Vidic. And the fact that Louisville had like eight All-Americans on their team. So every scout in the world was at this game uh watching louisville and one of my teammates and uh it's kind of it's kind of funny just the story behind this my pitching coach i wasn't supposed to pitch that day he says hey i'll give you a king size snickers if you throw harder than the starter today for louisville who was a team usa like all-american pitcher so i was like i mean as long as i'm not gonna lose anything in this bit might as well take it there's snickers on the table yeah, exactly <laughs> I exactly. Mean, come on. I mean, who can who can turn that? That was extra motivation. He knew how to, you know, Coach Mike Stafford knew how to get me, you know, uh, to the level I needed to be. Uh, but I came in that game and had stuff that I never had before. My curveball was way better than it ever was. My fastball was reaching, I think, 97, 98 or something like that. And uh, it, it's just uh, one thing I want to tell co- collegiate pitchers. When when your scouts are at your game and you're about to to throw, 
there's nothing more exciting or adrenaline boosting when you just see everyone's Everyone's like, all the scouts are writing, and then they know you're about to pitch, and all the radar guns come up. It just, <laughs> it would excite me, and I think that that was that, the, yeah, yeah, the adrenaline that you needed. Yes, and uh, there wasn't really mental, there wasn't really a lot of thinking going on then. It was just we had actual sign. Zach Digert, my catcher, uh, you know, this is normal fastball. He would go fastball and give me a fist, and I knew I was like, all right, I'm throwing this one <laughs> as hard as possible. Mm-hmm. So that was probably my highlight of like just being free, being an athlete, not being conscious during my motion that we do every day. And, um, and what I mean by that is, you know, when you breathe, you're not sitting there thinking like, okay, breathe. Right. Like it's just something you do. And when you do athletic motions, that's the state you want to be in. You don't want to be thinking like, oh, what am I doing? Or when you're running, like run like this, you just do it. Right. And uh, that at that point, I was at that state, and that's the best state to be in. That's where you want to be. You were still having fun. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, very, very mm-hmm. much so. Uh, but after that, I went from top 40 rounds to top five rounds <laughs> and became our number one pitcher after that for Friday nights. And college Friday night starter is the, is the, the key pitcher. And yeah. If, if they were there to watch you, if they came to watch you specifically – would it have been a different experience for you? I think so. Yeah. Because expectation kind of, uh, and I think we'll get into that, but it, and when I talk with my, my mental coach, Cece, that's what we kind of realized when there was nothing at stake, you know, boom, you're good. But then when you start to get in your mind, like, okay, well I have to do this or people are expecting this. That's when, uh, you know, things went kind of awry when, whenever that happened. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the top five round thing was crazy. I ended up going second round to the Phillies in 2010. I will say I had a draft party cause I was supposed to go first round and I had never experienced butterflies like that before, like a whole nother level. I was just like hard to like catch my breath. And when that, cause I knew I was coming up in the 39th pick by the Red Sox. And when that came up, I was just like, oh, like, is this about to happen? And then, of course, they called a different name. But <laughs> but uh, I was actually at the orthodontist with my sister when the Phillies drafted me. Really? <laughs> yeah, in East Liverpool, because it was like the only one that accepted my mother's insurance. So I had to drive her to East Liverpool. <laughs> and I <laughs> I just agreed to, you know, so um uh, but it was fun. My, my, we were driving in the car and I had my, I had a makeshift. It was back before CarPlay, Apple CarPlay and all that. I had like an iPhone 3GS or something. I don't know what it was, but I had like a makeshift dock. Like, you know, they used yeah. to sell the iPhones with the docks. I had that in my car. I had a 2001 Acura. Well, I called it an Acura because the U fell off the back of my car. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> fell off. But yeah, in the car wash, I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a crazy moment. My phone actually, there was two things were going to happen. It was either going to explode, but it ended up just turning off because I was getting way too many text messages. <laughs> so you found out driving down the road from text messages or a phone call? Well, we had the draft, like they had a live oh, ticker. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that was back before live streaming was like a, a gotcha. big thing. I don't even think Netflix, I think Netflix was still sending out DVDs back then, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, and I saw it and I was just like, 
you know, my heart still had that little drop in it. And I was like, wow, like, that's awesome. But I didn't really react. My yeah. sister's there. And she's like, she hits me. She's like, did you just see that? <laughs> she's like, aren't you ecstatic? I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm excited. I got to drive. Though. Like, <laughs> but that was that's one of amazing. the best. Yeah. One of the best days. And my phone just turning off from all the, the messages. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. I, obviously, the experience I'm never going to forget. Um, and I think it might even set it at the bottom of the ticker, like where I was when I got drafted, because it was kind of a funny story, really? I guess. Yeah. So cool experience. That cool experience. Cool. It, it, you know, if, if I would vouch for being drafted into pro sports, everyone should do it at least once. No. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> but no, I wouldn't trade that for the world. It was great. And uh, yeah, so that started my career. All right. <laughs> But uh, then came the expectation. <laughs> once I got once I got drafted where I got drafted, you know that's when the, the expectations uh, kicked in. And, yeah. Were they Percy placed expectations? Coach, where'd it come from? Majority me. Yeah, I would say ninety nine percent me. <laughs> uh, no one that I know would say, "Hey, you better do this" or anything like that. And the Phillies, they were. They were great. They did kind of baby me up front just because they spent money on me. You know, I was a high draft pick. Um, I said my arm, you know, hey, I want to take a, can I take today off? In college, you can take a day off from throwing and it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. But in pro ball, uh, I made a start and I my arm was a little tight and I was like, yeah, can I can I have the day off? And the next thing you know, I'm getting an MRI at this hospital. I'm like, wait, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, that started it and I didn't do as well the first year. Um, but there's a lot of talented players. Yeah. And when I was hurt, I'm watching all these guys and they're like, I'm like, dang, these guys are good. And I'm just watching. I'm not actually participating. Mm -hmm. So my confidence isn't being built up. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of slowly being ticked down. So, so talk a little bit about expectations. And, and I think that, you know, in general, the world throws that word around easily and, and we have an idea of what the expectations are. But if you had to put words to your expectations, what did you expect of yourself? I would say instantly, for some reason, I jumped to, okay, two years, I got to be in the big leagues. I have to throw really hard. I have to strike out a lot of batters. Mm -hmm. I have to look the part. Um, and I just, I have to basically be that person that everyone wants to be from my hometown because this doesn't really happen too much. Mm -hmm. So I have to be like that, even off the field. Like, um, I just have to be that person that everyone, you know, kind of looks up to and I want to do the right thing at all times, uh, which off the field wasn't very hard. I mm -hmm. loved you know, volunteering, going to churches, going to schools. I did that a lot. I even did that with a lot of the uh, Latin players. So that was kind of fun for them giving back because obviously they would love to be giving back back in the Dominican, but uh, they couldn't really do that to the off season. So a lot of them love that too as well. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun dynamic just because they come from nothing. So they feel obligated, mm -hmm. you know, to, to do that whenever they're playing professional baseball. So Oh, yeah. So you pretty much made sure expectations covered every aspect of your life on the field, off the field, the way that you look, the church, that, making sure that you had your faith covered, yeah. making sure that you were representing your hometown, pretty much every place where you could have put an expectation on yourself, you did. Yep. And had to be a great husband, uh, potentially to, to Krista mm -hmm. at the time, right when I got drafted, mm -hmm. I was a moron and we weren't together. Uh, <laughs> but 
I ultimately my goal was to always marry her mm-hmm. right from when I saw her. So I knew I had to get myself prepared and get ready for, you know, for that. And uh, it was just I did have people in my corner outside of my family, my host family. So you have host families in minor league baseball, if you're lucky, um, where my family did not the they were Marshall and uh, man, they were just <laughs> they had two sons, Hunter and uh, Chase, eight and ten. They were crazy, but it took me. It was able to when I went back to their house, it was uh-huh. a whole different dynamic. I was no longer thinking, OK, I suck today. You know, mm-hmm. every once in a while, Chase or Hunter would be like, damn, man, like uh, you doing all right. <laughs> but um, no, nah, Marsha, Marshall and uh, Trisha, they were great. They were just like an extension of my family. Like I even contact them from time to time still. So all my host families are like that. I was just at my host family's Sunday, really? uh, the one from Columbus. So. So what did the eight and 10 year olds see that made them say, Hey, are you all right? They could tell, I think from when we had meet the team, when they basically met me for the first time and decided, Mm -hmm. okay, we want this player in our home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, My confidence that I displayed, you know, talking to them, even though they were strangers and um, just, I guess my demeanor and vibrance as a person, Uh how outgoing I was, they were like, yeah, yeah. And then, I think when they saw me on the field, because they were coming to every game, uh-huh. um, they were just like, this is not the same person. So, and they were very confident kids. You know, they, they would, they were hunters. They were, they did pretty much everything. Marshall brought them up to just never rely on anybody. Like they lived in a, a log cabin that was beautifully built and they were, they were fearless kids. <laughs> they once took a BB gun out to shoot a bear. I'm like, sure. you know, it's not going to do anything, right? And they're like, yeah, we shot it in the head and he just turned over. <laughs> <laughs> You're lucky. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they were fearless kids. And I think, you know, intentionally they weren't thinking, well, he doesn't look as confident. They can just see some like, you know, you're not yourself on the mound. Like what's uh-huh. going on? So, yeah. So where did you keep this anxiety or these expectations. So when I, when I say that, I mean, um, some people can't sleep at night. Some people just, they're, they're shaky. Their feet are shaky. Some people, their thoughts are racing. Some people withdraw. Um, when this anxiety, when these expectations really started to hit you, what did it feel like? Where did you hold it? I felt like I, I tried to cover and mask it with Mm -hmm. things that I knew I was good at. So, you know, playing video games, doing other sports like basketball, Mm -hmm. whenever we did trips to the gym, I was good at working out. Like I knew how to properly do exercises. So when as a team, we're going to these different gyms, that stuff. um, And I kind of would just mask it with jokes. And when I'm around people just kind of, and I would even say things about bad about me. Like if you ask my friend, Micah, he's always like, and I never really noticed this. It's something that he would notice. He just said, basically, he actually said it to me the other day. He said, every time you get like a compliment or something, you kind of just downplay it or say like, nah, and try to reverse it into a, not a good thing. And I'm like, I do. He's like, yes, all the time. It's annoying. <laughs> Everyone needs a friend like that yeah. though. I mean, that was really awesome that he kind of, he called you on that yeah. and, and that you heard it. Yeah. And I was just like, wow. Okay. Um, that just goes to, to show that there's 
when, when it was about baseball. So when yeah. it goes when it goes to show about something that I'm not so uh-huh. confident in, you know, I'll I'll let you know somehow mm-hmm. by maybe it might be a little undertone or little joke or something like, oh yeah, no, I'm not too good, you know. But I really believe that. Some people might say that and they know they're good. They just don't want to be cocky. So they'll they'll say something yeah. like that. But no, me, I think some of the things I I might say, sometimes I believe them. And I think it's something that I just need to be constantly, not constantly, but I need to be conscious and think about like all the things I'm saying to myself. Mm-hmm. Because I think those little jokes or little jabs I take at myself are something that I talk, I tell myself on a regular basis. And the Phillies would try to beat into my head. Well, one thing they wanted is posture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, positive self-talk. So that was something they, they really hit home. And once they saw me really not practicing it or, you know, kind of taking that coaching. Mm-hmm. They uh, they had a mental coach named Jack Curtis who has a lot of books and stuff like that. He's got the mental um, ABCs of baseball and stuff like that. And uh, they sent me out to his home in Wisconsin in Lacrosse, Wisconsin. And I was like, I've never been up here. You know, I'm like, Mom, if you don't hear from me, I, was, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what happened. But uh, th- him and his wife, Jack and his wife, they were great. I stole two of her recipes for banana nut bread and chili. Uh, and he just spent time with me and he tried to just get to the root basically of kind of what we're doing here uh-huh. and just see like, you know, what, what, what is causing all this, you know, because a lot of people would see this great person, this loving person, this kind person and this talented person, but they, it was visible that to everyone that I didn't see that in myself. Mm-hmm. I even had a couple, I think the catcher for the Orioles, um, I don't know. I can't think of his name right now. I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> he was like, you know, man, like you're very talented and your pitch, your pitches are great, but I can't be the only one that believes that. Like you have to, me telling you that is not going to do anything, you know, unless that's what you believe. And it was very apparent just how I threw and behaved, you know, um, and that was even in college football is the same same way and, and coach Parrish pointed that out as well and it was just something how I carried myself it was not typically how a pitcher or quarterback or someone with um, you know ta- uh, confidence in other places mm-hmm. I, it was just very visible I think to a lot of people so you know, you've said to me before at, at, I think maybe the first time that we talked and did a podcast or at least we wrapped up the, another podcast and I, I may goof up the um, the, the quote, but mental is to physical say that quote. Yes. So it was actually coach Parrish, my quarterback okay. coach. When you walked into the, the QB room, this was football. He, he said, mental is to physical is four is to one. So for football, for the, for one of the, a great legendary coach to believe that in football, mm-hmm. physical or physical right. is nowhere near as important as, as mental. And, you know, as mental is four times is as important as, uh, as physical for him to believe that it really struck me. And for the longest, you know, my mm-hmm. first year, I was just like, eh, it's just a sign we look at, you know, and I loved watching film, though. Mm-hmm. So I knew that part was like the mental, but I didn't take it literally like, you know, how I view myself. There was a lot more to the mental aspect. I thought it was just knowing the playbook and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, but it was a whole it was a whole nother ball game to what he was getting to. So did you say the coat, the mental coach was Jack? Was Jack that? Curtis. Yes. So what did you take away from that? 
Well, the one thing I took away, because the one thing they knew was that I did not talk to myself properly. So we did a lot of affirmational work, Mm -hmm. writing down affirmations about myself and picking some that I liked. And I had exercises where I would read them to myself in the morning and night. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't always follow because I thought it was uh, this stuff isn't going to work, you know. So I never really went all in on a lot of the treatments, per se, or exercises I was given because early on, I didn't think it was an issue. I didn't take it seriously even though I knew I didn't think uh, the way I needed to think. And I knew I, I didn't, I didn't have the the confidence that I knew I needed, mm-hmm. but I just thought that was, well, that's my personality. You know, I even have that relationship with God. I don't, you know, you know, you don't always think you're worthy and you, you know, you always want to confess your sins, but you don't feel that great about it. You're like, you know, you know, is he really going to forgive me? He's, he knows how I think and all this stuff. So all that combined is uh, is something that I just I just struggled with, um, but I was very good at covering it up because mm-hmm. I'm very I'm a joyful person. Mm-hmm. So you would never suspect anything like that. But that's well, what I was thinking. And the way that you're describing it, um, I'm guessing most of the people who watch this podcast will not have been drafted for any major <laughs> sports team. But the way that you're describing it is almost a little it's type a i mean it's that strive for success that high expectation that need to succeed um and it maybe it's the valedictorian of a class or maybe it's somebody that's striving to be a valid valedictorian but regardless of whether or not you and i are talking about sports i think that um that condition of expectations and the way that they impact our self-worth and our relationships and our our success isn't absolutely not soul to what you went through. Um, And so I'm just, I'm hoping that everyone that's watching this gets that while we're talking about an experience nobody else will have, um, this is really applicable to a lot of different areas in life. So you came back from working with Jack and you were like, "Eh, I'm not sure this is really going to work. Yeah. I'm trying to think what year that was. I want to say it was 2013 maybe. And I came back in the 2014 Mm -hmm was the the first year I had after the experience with Jack. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't completely said it's not going to work. I just wasn't totally sold. Yeah. So I wasn't all in on it. Got it. Um, I did, you know, here and there, he would text me or remind me, and then I would read my affirmations, and then it kind of wear off, you know, the typical human mm-hmm. stuff, just like it's January 1, all right, I'm doing this, this, and this. And right. then, you know, January 21st, I'm like, oh, dang, I haven't really done any of that. <laughs> My intentions were good. Yes, yes. Uh, so it was basically like that. And um, 2014, I came into spring training, and it was it was an okay spring training. I was aware that I needed to be positive, and then I needed to you know believe in myself, and mm-hmm. that I, I just needed to be free and play. Um, but it still hadn't got to the point where in my head that alarms are going off. It was still like a thing, like oh, I'm just going through like a phase or. Uh, you know, this will fix eventually, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it didn't really happen until, cause I wasn't, I didn't show any signs of like yips or anything. I wasn't throwing the ball crazy. I just was not, you know, accurate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a couple comments my coaches would make, they didn't really sink in. I took them a different way. Like, um, one of my coaches was to tell me, he was like, Hey man, your, your fastball's got a hump in it. Like, are you, are you getting on your fastball? And I got defensive, like, yes, I'm throwing my fastball. Like I'm throwing it. 
and I didn't know, you know, his name's Chris Truby. He was telling me like, look, you don't look like you're, you know, giving it your all. It kind of looks like you're just kind of, you know, massaging the ball or placing the ball, aiming it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I had done that a lot in my career, especially young. When you throw a couple balls, like, oh, let me take some off of it. That's the human approach, but that's not what you want to do. And that's when you start to get in that conscious state of mind. Like if, if a golfer is thinking it, if you're thinking through your swing, it's not going to, it's not going to be good. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's basically what I was doing. And I I was choking the ball. I was just all tense and just Mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, just being free. And basically that's what he was trying to say, but he didn't, obviously he's not a mental coach, so he doesn't know how to approach it. And I'm pretty sure there's not many players are open about Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about now. Uh, And a lot of coaches, it's kind of a stigma, like I was talking about, Mm -hmm. and I guess the title of (laughs) this podcast, but not a lot of people talk about it. And I think now that we're touching on mental health more, I feel like we'll ease into, you know, discussing it more. And I think uh, even if you YouTube Charles Barkley's golf swing, and like I was talking about before, you'll learn a lot more about the condition and just how powerful thoughts are. Mm-hmm. Um, I know like quoting the song I quoted last time and then I'm about to quote another song, an artist that everybody knows, Drake. So he has a song and he says, the power of the mind is not a joke. And, you know, a lot of people just sing rap songs. They don't really, there might be some hidden, like good positive message in there. Most part, most of the time they're not positive messages. But when you find one like that, you're like, okay, like even this dude thinks this. Mm-hmm. And you start to dig deeper and research. You're like a lot of successful people understand and value their thoughts and what they put in their mind, not just the food they put in their body, but the information and I guess just how do you put, what, what do you pour into yourself every morning? And I didn't start thinking about that until I started focusing on trying to pour into other people. Then I go, well, what, what information and what, what am I adding to myself every day? That's when I'm like, uh, it's really not the best, especially if I'm listening to rap songs. I know it's talking about something I really shouldn't be listening to. That's probably hurting me in the long run. I know I shouldn't be listening to this. That's going to be thinking like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm terrible and doing all this stuff. So it's just, uh, all these ways are eat, making it easier for me to feed myself negative energy. So, um, but that's a really good point about, um, I think that in general, most of the population does not realize the impact that your thoughts have on every aspect of your life, whether it's your physical health, whether it's your level of anxiety, your level of happiness, your level of commitment. Um, one of my favorite quotes, and I'm going to mess it up and I can't remember whose quote it is, but it's the same idea. It's, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And the whole idea is we decide, we decide whether something's good, whether something's bad, whether we're worthy, whether we're not worthy. Um, I, I did a presentation at the Kent Tusk leadership for the high school juniors and seniors. And it was a lot of our type A kids. It was, you know, the ones that are striving for success and not sleeping and overextended and extracurriculars and, and, you know, um, and everything that we talked about was, perspective and expectations and and how there is a a a blanket or a, um, a general statement and the different ways that you can perceive it and how that impacts how your anxiety is and how you move, move forth with that so your coach was giving you some feedback about pitching you took it a little bit defensively <laughs> and 
That was the macho man. Yeah. You no. Know? That and I want to say, did you? Up. Yes, uh -huh. yes. And I want to say, did you talk to Jack Curtis before this? Because he has a, a a name for that. So you said, you know, neither positive or negative, but the mind makes it so, or mm -hmm. whatever. He would call those default goals. So if you're talking to yourself or you're thinking about something, your subconscious, your mind isn't saying, "Hey, that's good. Hey, that's bad." Mm -hmm. It's just whatever you're thinking. It's like, okay. That's what we're focusing on. So if you think about yourself and you're talking like, well, I suck. I'm no good. Mm -hmm. I'm fat. I'm ugly. Your mind's not like, oh, that's bad information. Let's kick that to the curb. It's like, okay, he's telling himself that. Okay. And what I believe and what Jack Curtis, uh, a sort of what he's kind of taught me is the more you think about something, you focus. And it's almost like the Bible, one of my favorite Bible verses. Well, a lot of people's is Philippians 413. And that's, you know, um, you know, I can do anything through God who strengthens me or something like that. And then Philippians four through eight or four, eight is what I like because it, it's what I struggled with. And that's, you know, think about things that are worthy of praise, things that are excellent. And I, I didn't always do that. So Philippians four, eight is what I kind of, one of my favorite verses that I like to think about because I would always think about the things not like, hell, okay, is someone going to come into my house and steal something or hurt my family? Mm -hmm. I always think about those things and it's, it's not something that is healthy, I think. <laughs> well, of course, I did a, a little research and did a little reading before um, our first podcast last time and I saw a quote by Terry Francona about you. Oh. Do you know this quote? I'm a, I'm a guess. Is it the one about smiles? Yeah. <laughs> you need a pick me up. Spend five minutes with Percy. Mm. All smiles. Yes. And so it's interesting to hear that, um, you know, sometimes you struggled with some of those negative thoughts because at, that is absolutely not you, what you portrayed. Do you feel like one was more true to who you were at that moment than the other? I feel whenever, whenever I'm, uh, you know, doing something of value that I'm expected to perform at a certain level, or I expect myself to perform at some level. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe I kind of incorporate that and kind of mess with myself and think about, okay, you know, I really got to do this or this is important. Mm -hmm. Not that meeting new people and projecting God onto new people or just being kind to some stranger, obviously that's important too, but you're not thinking like, Ooh, I better do this or this person's going to hate me. Like, I mean, some people might think that, but I know I don't struggle with those thoughts. The thoughts I struggle with are the ones of, okay, I'm seen as an athlete. Mm -hmm. I'm seen as a black athlete and you know, there's a certain way I have to carry myself either to break certain stereotypes. Cause I think about that or to live up to certain stereotypes or expectations. And I think those, when I think about that, that's when that kind of creeps in. Mm -hmm. um, and I wish obviously that I was able to, I, I've said this plenty of times. I don't know how many people I said, if I had the confidence I do socially, if I could transfer that to the mound, I'd be Cy Young winner. No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's just something that, I never let myself really um, just let go of those thoughts. Uh, and that a lot of that is not staying committed to those exercises. 
Uh, a lot of that is denying it being a denial for the longest time. And then when I kind of accepted the fact, which was with the Indians, because that's when it kind of got like scary and I, it started going, okay, what is happening? This is getting mm-hmm. out of hand and this is embarrassing. Um, and that's when it got bad because before it was like, okay, you're throwing a ball, you're walking people. Like that's embarrassing. But when you throw the ball, like my first pitch of spring training of 2017, what it hit the bull, which is a, a bull Durham um, quote or whatever mm-hmm. from the movie and just not even close to anything. And it, at that point, I still was able to manage to get through spring training and perform well numbers wise, but everyone was able to see clearly there's an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I just never was able to overcome those thoughts. And a lot of it at first, initially I was like, well, it's got to be imposter syndrome. I've had the success. Maybe I don't believe I worked hard enough to get it. I don't believe maybe I deserve it just because I think I'm a bad person because of what I do behind closed doors, which the average person may think, Oh, you're a good dude. You're getting into heaven. Like we talked about before. But to me, I know this is not good behavior and all those things compile to me thinking, well, maybe I don't deserve this because I do this, that, and the third. Um, and then I would get in these traps of thinking of why I think this. And then instead of just saying, okay, what do I need to focus on? What do I need to work on to get through these thoughts and to get confident and to believe in myself in the gifts that God has given me to use them the best of my ability. You know, God didn't give me the ability to throw a baseball hard to be afraid to throw the baseball hard. (laughs) And that's where I was. Yeah. Yeah, And it was frustrating. Yeah. Well, and I almost wonder, and I, I want to talk about Indi- the Indians next, but I almost wonder, um, you it, tell me if this is at all true. You had so much success growing up, especially sports related, yeah. um, that you didn't have, did you not have the experience that so many of us have where you find yourself failing at a lot and you find that you're not the best one on whatever team it was or whatever test it was. Um, and so you kind of have to, I feel like you, you've went through something that is really typical and normal. You just went through it a little later when you were more intelligent and more mature and probably hit you a little harder because you were more intelligent at that age than, than the adolescents are. But you had your first bumps in your success later than most of us do. Fair? I would say yes. Um, when, you, when you put me in the, the athlete like box and you think about basketball and football, mm-hmm. I would say most athletes don't experience failure really at all until maybe they get to the professional level. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a baseball setting, baseball is all about failure. But I didn't really hit much in high school. Hitting is where you fail. You're good if you fail 70% of the time. <laughs> and pitching, there really isn't a fail rate. You want to be great pretty much all the time. I want to say at the level of basketball and football. Because if you're a basketball player, you're good. And you're in high school and college. It shows. Mm-hmm. Same with football. Uh, but baseball, it's it's a... And we always say baseball is a man's game, which everyone's going to be like, you know, okay, football is definitely, hockey is definitely the man's game, you know, rugby or UFC is. But, and this kind of goes with the theme of this uh, podcast is it depends what you think is a man's game. If you want to be 
you could say chess is a man's game. And I don't mean like not woman, but I mean, you got to be, you know, mentally tough or something like that. And not saying women are, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Getting warm in here for okay. Go ahead. I'm just kidding. That's not what this is about. No, um, but it, it depends how you look at it. Obviously, you want to be big and strong to play football and basketball, but baseball for you to be able to accept, get over, or uh, persevere through failure. You know, a lot of people say, "Well, that take you got to be a man to get through all that." You know, and uh, I failed a little bit my freshman year, but I quickly bounced back. Mm -hmm. And obviously through high school, I didn't, I was kind of just out there playing. I, I was, <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing much, but like you said, the, the, the success I had pretty much was always there. Mm -hmm. Football was a little late, but it's never like I failed at football. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't the starting quarterback. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think there is some, there is some weight to, to, to what that, what you're saying. And I think, that did pay, play a part. Um, and that's why I think in college football, I kind of like just wasn't as good because I started, my confidence started to get shot mm -hmm. because I was the quarterback. And then I go, and then I'm not the quarterback. I'm the third string quarterback. Then I'm the second string quarterback. And I'm getting in blowout games, but typically I'm the one sitting on the bench in a blowout game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but... Uh, so I do think there is definitely some weight to, to, to that. With every Thanks for joining us. Tune in for the next episode.